Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together, for your word, for the wisdom we receive, the guidance, the help, Lord, that we don't have to do this on our own. We are so grateful for how you work in and through our lives as a people, as a church, as your followers. And we ask your blessing upon us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're back to the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 tells us, let's read together, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When I was a little boy, I was pretty willful. And one of the ways I showed myself to be willful is I had this shirt that I loved. It was my favorite shirt. And I wanted to wear this shirt every day. So my mom's challenge was to try to get me to wear a different shirt. And some days she was successful, but most days she was not. Well, after some time, my, my shirt started to get holes in it. That's how much I wore it and how old it was. And she thought, oh, now I can get him to take the shirt off. Well, no, I would not take that shirt off. In fact, I did not take, stop wearing that shirt until it had so many holes that it was literally falling off my body. Now, we can all be willful in that way, can't we? We all have our willfulness about us. But the thing we need to understand is it's not good to be willful, especially when it comes to being a Christ follower and when it comes to sharing our faith with others. We, we need to not be willful. And then this today's lesson, in chapter 18, we will see Paul give us an example of how not to be willful, but actually to follow and to live into the will of God. Now, I'm grateful for the important people that God has put in my life. It ranges from my parents who created me and raised me, and it goes to uh, my friend Andy, who invited me to church, and he would come and pick me up and drive me to youth group every single week, and through that, I was able to hear the gospel, and I gave my life to Jesus. I became a Christian, a follower of Christ. And then there was Glenn, who discipled me and helped me to grow and mature in my faith. And then there's my friend Dean, who I've been friends with for over 35 years, who has encouraged me and been a great help and support in my life. And last, but not last, is my wife, Tammy, who is my best friend, who is an amazing person who makes me a better person and loves me unconditionally. See, I could go on and on about all the people that God has brought into my life because the, the important thing to remember is that God regularly brings important people into your life, people who are there to encourage you and disciple you and challenge you and to prod you and to help you mature and grow in your faith. And when these people come into your life, you should see them as God-given people. You should be thankful for the important people that God brings in your life to help you and to bless you. And we see this happen in Paul's life. Remember, uh, when you see yellow, please read with me. Acts 18, 1 to 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We'll see that Aquila and Priscilla become very important people in Paul's lives. 
And at first, there was a connection. They were, they were tent makers. They shared the same kind of work. But even more than that, they shared the same kind of desire to teach others, to tell others about Jesus. And as they did this together, there was a great bond that formed from them. And I imagine in Paul's life, as he was a traveler, a missionary, he would go around from place to place, and that must have gotten lonely at times. And so to have people like Aquila and Priscilla come into his life and, and have connection with them and have them bless them, encourage him, and, and do work together in ministry was really a great thing for Paul. Who are the important people in your life? God regularly brings important people into your life. Who are those people? Why are they important in your life? If you think about those people that God's put into your life, why are they important to you? What do they bring to your life? How do they challenge you or encourage you or uplift you or, or strengthen you, challenge you, disciple you? How do they make a difference in your life? It's important for us to think about that, to acknowledge that, to, to receive that, and think these are the important people. And maybe you might even want to make a little mental note. Who are the important people that God has put in your life even right now? And are you allowing them to do a work in your life that God wants them to do, that God has brought them into your life to do? See, in Paul's life, it's not difficult to see what was important to him. Paul was always a very zealous person. If you know anything about Paul, you know that when he was a Pharisee, he was very zealous for the law, so much so that he persecuted the Christians because he believed that the teaching of the Christians went against the law, and so he went out in his zealousness, and he persecuted and he killed the Christians. And then when he received Christ, when he met Christ and he accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord, he was zealous for Christ and for Christ alone. We see this zealousness come out in his ministry. Read with me, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. These are words from Paul in his book to the Philippians. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, Paul was zealous to tell people about Christ. And we see in each chapter after chapter, Paul comes into a city. So he comes into Corinth and he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach people about Jesus. And he does this for a while. And then after a time, the people begin to be abusive to him and they oppose his message. And so Paul says, well, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. And so he goes next door, and we see what happens when he goes next door. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And read with me, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Paul preached in the synagogue. Then that door became closed for him, so he went next door and he kept preaching. And other people still came and he told them about Jesus. Why? Because he was zealous about Jesus. He wanted people to know Jesus. He wanted to know the change that Jesus had made in his life and he wanted that same change for them. He wanted them to know what it was like to have Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And so he preached to them and many believed because of this. How satisfying this must have been for Paul to live out his passion, which was Jesus Christ. What is important in your life? What are you passionate about? 
Hopefully it includes Jesus. Maybe you want to have a business or in your work you want to honor Christ by the way you live your life in your job or in your business. Maybe you want to open your home in Christian love and show hospitality to others. Maybe you want to be helpful to others and by doing that you share the love of Christ with them. When our passion includes Christ, when we do something to show the glory of God through Christ, then our lives will be more meaningful and people around us will be more blessed because of it. You might remember back in 1992, there was a trial that was involved, involving some policemen that had um, been uh, abusive to Rodney King. And so there was this trial, and the, the police were on trial to see if they had done something wrong. And in the end of the trial, they were found innocent. But that didn't go over well with a lot of the people in Los Angeles, and so there was this riot. There was this riot. Well, there's a man named Reginald Denny, who's a trucker, and he was taking some um, things to a plant in Inglewood. And so he loaded up his truck, and he got his truck, and he started to drive to Inglewood. And he made a shortcut across Florence Avenue. Now, he didn't have a radio in his truck. So he didn't know that there was a riot going on. And he didn't know that he was driving right into the heart of this riot. And there were people in the street, and they, they made him stop his truck. And somebody pulled him out of his truck. And they hit him on the side of the head with a brick, knocking him unconscious. They were throwing bottles at him. Why they chose him to do this, who knows? He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when the paramedics got there to care for Reginald Denny, they said that he almost died because of this beating. Now, you might remember this. I remember this. I lived in Camarillo at the time. It was on television. They were showing this live. I mean, that's how horrible that was. They should have never showed this live on television, but they did. You could see what was going on live. And, and I was way in Camarillo, and even still, there was this kind of fearfulness for me. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, stopping an innocent person, pulling him out, and just beating him for no reason, except that they were angry at a decision that had been made. I mean, there's even this sense of me that I had a little bit of fear to go outside. I was way in Camarillo, and that's how much it impacted my life to see this. Now, you probably, most of you were much closer to that riot. So you must have really experienced that sense of fear of what it was like. I am not going outside for a long time because things are crazy outside. Now, I mention this because oftentimes we hear, okay, go and share your faith, right? And you think about, well, what about the persecution? How will I be persecuted? How will people respond to my message? How, what will people say to me? Will they reject me? Will they not like me? And we get kind of fearful when we think about sharing our, our faith, when we share Jesus with others. And it causes us maybe to, to shy away from even going out and doing what we are called to do. But the passage today reminds us that we need to continue to go out and to have this hope that Jesus is at work within us. And we read in verses 9 to 11, read with me the yellow. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. 
and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now in some ways this verse might be a little surprising to you. I mean, we would never think of Paul being fearful, right? I mean, Paul was zealous, right? Paul was was the one who traveled everywhere. He was constantly telling people about Christ. I mean, that was his passion. That was his goal. That was his ministry. That was his calling. But think about it. Remember what I said in the synagogue. They were abusive to him, and they opposed him. And in city after city, he experienced a lot of this persecution. And so there were times when Paul was kind of fearful and kind of obviously thought, hmm, maybe I'm not going to do this. This is too difficult. This is scary to do. And so the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. It is the right thing to do, to speak the message of God, that Jesus Christ loves all and wants to be their Savior and Lord. It is the right thing to do. It is our calling. It is what God wants us to do. And even more, God says, I will be with you. I will watch over you. I will protect you. Paul later encourages Timothy, someone he was discipling, and at times did not show courage in speaking about Jesus. And so Paul gives these words to Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, of me, uh, about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's God's message to us. Do not be ashamed about this message. This message has changed your life. This message has transformed your life. This message gives you purpose and meaning. This message is powerful and will change the lives of people. This message will change their life for eternity. It will change their eternal destination. We should look out to people into our world and say, there are many who are lost in our world. We should not be ashamed of this message. We should be bold in proclaiming it, saying, we have a message that is so important. I mean, we've talked about it last week, right? Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and then three days later raised from the dead in power to give us power here on this earth and to give us eternal life when we die. There is no better message. This is not a message we should be ashamed of. We should speak with boldness and with power. We need to allow this promise of God that he is with us to encourage us so that we have courage, the possibility of leading a life of purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy and love. I have a couple of friends who are kind of free spirits. I don't know if you know people like that, but sometimes you just meet a person that's just a free spirit. This one particular person, she's in her early 50s. She's not married. She's chosen not to be married. And she has several part-time jobs, no one full-time job. And these jobs can often change. And she wants it that way so that she can have freedom to do what she wants and go where she wants. And, and she's just a free spirit. Just the way she lives her life. That's not right or wrong. It's just the way she is. I mean, it's right for her. That's what she wants it to be. And I talked to you about that for a moment because that's kind of how Paul was, right? Paul was this free spirit, he kind of went here, and he stayed here for a while, and then he went over here, and he went to this city, and he went to that city. 
But his free spirit wasn't of his own choosing. His free spirit was God's choosing, right? And sometimes he'd be in a place and the door would just close and he'd say, I guess it's time to move on. Other times God would speak to him very clearly and say, I want you to go there. Remember in one of the passages, Paul wanted to go somewhere and it says the Holy Spirit kept him from going there and said, no, you're going over here. And so he was guided by the Spirit of God and by the will of God. We need to understand that Paul had this kind of attitude and had kind of this kind of lifestyle. And we need to understand that as we think about reading the scriptures and we think about what Paul did and how Paul constantly went from place to place. So while Paul went, he went to Ephesus, and while I was at Ephesus, he was going into the synagogue, as he often did, right? And he was reasoning with the Jews, and he was talking to them about Jesus. Why? Because that was his calling, right? He knew his calling. He knew what God was wanting him to do, and he was faithful in doing that. And so every time he went into the city, I'm sure there had to be some nervousness. Can you imagine walking into the city and going into the synagogue, and here there's a group of people, and now you're like, okay, I need to preach Christ, right? But yet Christ filled him with that power, with that excitement, with that enthusiasm. And I'm sure once he got going, nothing could stop him because he was so zealous for Christ. And so he preached Christ to the people. After the time, the Lord led him to leave, to go to another place. And as I was speaking with the children and as Roger was reading, the people said, no, Paul, stay with us, stay with us. Now, you know, that's a good feeling, isn't it? If someone says, oh, no, we stay with me. We, we want you around more. In fact, I remember when I was looking for a, a ministry position and, and people at my other church found out. and They're like, oh, no, we want you to stay here with us. And that's nice. It's nice to be wanted. But I was like, I really appreciate that, but God is calling me to a new ministry. God is calling me to South Bay Presbyterian Church. I'm following the leading of the Lord. This is God's will for my life. He's put it on my heart and in my mind. He's put it in your heart and on your mind. And so we follow the, the will of God, and it's nice to be wanted. And I'm sure it was nice for Paul to be wanted, but Paul says, no, I have to leave. If God wills it, I'll come back and I'll visit you again. But whatever God wills me to do, that is what I must do. See, we need to have that in our vocabulary. We need to consistently say, day after day, if this is what God wants me to do, then that's what I'll do. If it's not what God wants me to do, then I won't do it. We should consistently be saying that every single day. God, whatever your will is for me today, that's what I want to do. I want to follow what your will is. And sincerely seek God with that attitude, with those words, and then truly Follow what God tells you to do. Because sometimes we do what we want to do, don't we? We know what God wants us to do. And we know what we want to do. And sometimes they don't coincide. And there's a little battle there that goes on. And we have to be honestly saying to ourselves, what God wants me to do, that's what I will do. I think I mentioned this to you before. Well, there's the verse. But as he left, he promised, Paul promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So he leaves Ephesus. I might have mentioned this to you before. Um, 
When I was first starting in youth ministry, I was fortunate to, to have a lot of other youth minister friends. And a number of them were very um, successful, if you will, youth ministers. I mean, they had grown very large youth groups. They were writing books. They were going and speaking at conferences. And as I was with them and as I was watching them, there's a, there's a part of me that started to say, you know, I want to have a big youth group. I want to write a book. I want to go speak at conferences. But then I started to reflect upon that, and I started to, to look at my desires behind that. Why did I want a large youth group? Why did I want to write a book? Why did I want to go speak at conferences? And I started to realize, you know, I think I wanted that because I wanted to feel important. It was more for me than for the Lord. And God put it on our heart and said, no, that's not what I have for you. And in fact, as I've reflected on that over the years, I'm glad that God didn't give that to me. Have you ever said that? I wanted something and then I didn't get it, and later I looked back and said, oh, thank you, God, for not giving me that. Because I realized that I would not have been happy traveling around and speaking at conferences. That's not who I am. While I do okay writing, that's not a passion of mine. I don't really want to write a book. And I start to look at my giftedness and what God has for me. And I love to pastor and to preach and to teach and to disciple and to be with people in a church. That's what I like. And that's where God has called me. Amen to that. That God would give me what he knew was best for me, even though in the beginning it's not what I wanted. And I'm thankful that he did give me what he wanted. We read in verses 23 to 24, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And so we see, what was Paul really good at doing? He was good at preaching. He was good at talking about Jesus. He was good at strengthening people in churches. He was one who, who preached and people became Christians and then he strengthened and encouraged them and he set up a leadership and he established a church and then once the church was kind of established, he would move on to the next church. That's what he was good at. That's what he was gifted at. And that's what the Lord led him to do. Leo Buscalia once said, your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. That is such a wonderful statement because God has truly given us gifts and talents and abilities. And God wants us to use those gifts and those talents and abilities for his glory and for his work. He doesn't want us to, to be envious of someone else and to look at someone and say, oh, I wish I was like that person. I wish I had that gift. I wish I had that gift. God says, no, discover the gift that I have given you. I've given it to you for a purpose because that's how I've created you. And I know this is best for you. And when you live into that, then you will be truly blessed and others around you will be truly blessed. And if you don't know your gifts, I would love to walk with you and help you discover them and help you find a way that you can plug them in to the church. Because that will be a blessing for you and that will be a blessing for us as a church when you are using your gifts in the way that God has called you to use them. 
And then we come across an interesting verse, a couple of verses here in 25 and 26. Talking about Paul, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Quilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this is interesting because we think, oh, Paul is a learned man, and he was a learned man. But you know, no matter how mature of a Christian you are, there's, there's things we still maybe don't know. There's maybe things we still have to be instructed in. There's, things, there's ways that God still wants us to grow. We're never, we should never think that we, we are, we've stopped growing. We always should keep learning and growing and being a deeper and more committed disciple. Paul had one little uh, thing that he was not quite clear on. He knew the baptism of John, which was really just the, the baptism of repentance. It was just about uh, about you know, confessing your sins and saying, I'm sinful and I know I need the Lord. But there was a secondary kind of baptism. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, not only are you cleansed from your sins and forgiven by God, but then when you really pray and they lay hands on you and you receive the Holy Spirit, then that's when you receive the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and when you're filled and guided fully by the Holy Spirit. And Paul didn't really understand all that. And so Apollos came and, uh, is it Apollos? Did I say that wrong? Priscilla and Quilla, sorry. His good friends, Priscilla and Quilla, and they said, we need to instruct you on something that maybe you haven't really learned yet. And so they taught him about this. You know, it's important for all of us as seekers of Christ, as Christ followers, to, to have someone in our life that is discipling us. I say that sincerely. We should all have someone in our life who is discipling us. Why? Because we are never at that place where we're fully mature in Christ. And oftentimes, there are, there are things in our life that we tend to overlook. And when someone walks alongside you, they maybe can challenge you in ways that you don't challenge yourself. They maybe can ask you some good, important questions like, where do you need to grow? What's God doing in your life? What's going on? What are you learning? What is God teaching you? Where are you struggling? What do you need to do more for Christ? These are the kinds of questions that people can ask you and help you to move along in your commitment and your faith in Christ. We should all have people in our life, like Paul had Priscilla and Aquila, we should all have people in our life that are discipling us. And I encourage you to think about who could that person be in my life. And if you don't already have someone, maybe you could say, you could ask that person, say, hey, would you walk with me? They don't have to be your teacher per se. They just have to be someone that's willing to ask you some good and challenging and, and pointed questions that are helping you to think about where are you growing or maybe where you're not growing. Are you stagnant right now? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you reading the Bible? Are you applying it to your life? They can ask you that question. Who in your life can be that person? Walk alongside you and help you in this journey. I actually have two different coaches in my life that I see uh, every couple months. And uh, it's a husband and wife. One's a minister and one's a, a qualified trained coach. And I love that I see them and they ask me these important questions that I might not think about myself, that I might not ask myself, that I might kind of leave by the wayside. I think it's important. 
When Tiffany was very young, she was a willful child, kind of like me. And I remember there'd be times when she'd be trying to do something. You know, little kids, they try to do something, and they struggle with it, and they can't really get it done, and they can't really figure it out. So as a parent, what do you do? You walk over, and you try to help them to do it, right? Well, these words would come out of her mouth. <laughs> I do it, she say. I do it. That's how she would say it. She wanted to be independent. She wanted to do it herself. She wanted to figure it out for herself. In fact, she was so independent and willful that sometimes Tammy wouldn't even take her out because she, wouldn't, she refused to hold Tammy's hand when they were walking in the parking lot or crossing the street or something like that. I do it, she said. We, we do that with God, don't we? We might not actually use those words to God because we might feel like that's a little uh, irreverent, right? Look at I do it, God. I, we might not say that, but we, we kind of do say that. When we see what God's will is and we say, no, I'm going to do this. Or when God says, you know, let me send my spirit to you and help you. And you're like, no, I got this, God. I got this. I do it. And we need to be careful of that attitude. Because we live in a society that tries to teach independence. But the scriptures tell us, no, we need to be dependent on God. We need to humble ourselves before God and let him fill us, let him guide us, let him direct us, let him instruct us, let him prepare us, let him use us for his glory. Let us pray.